This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to episode two of Just Read It Already. Today I'll be chatting about Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us and It Starts With Us, as well as Adam Silvera's They Both Die at the End and The First to Die at the End. Today I'm sipping on a cup of tea. It's from August Uncommon, and y'all, I love their teas. If you're a tea drinker, you should definitely check them out. And no, this is not a paid ad. I just really love their teas. This specific one is called Painted Desert. It's a black tea with chocolate and chili. It's very tasty. It's still a little chilly up here in the Pacific Northwest, coming up on the end of March. So this is perfect. It's perfect for today. Now, before we jump into the reviews, let's take a look at some of the books that are new this week. This is not at all a comprehensive list of every book that comes out this week. I just grabbed 10 from a list on Goodreads. As I mentioned in the last episode, I think when you search for new releases on Goodreads, you can pull them up by month, but it doesn't give you the day. You have to open up every single book to find the release date. And after a while, it gets a little tedious. I got stuff to do. So I pulled out 10 and here they are. The first book on my list is A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. According to Goodreads, this one, and I quote, explores the dark, twisted roots lurking just beneath the veneer of a perfect home and family. I have this pre-ordered. It will be on my iPad tonight. We also have Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. I've also pre-ordered this one. And according to Goodreads, this is a work of contemporary fiction and is described as, and I quote, an emotionally layered and engrossing story of a family that asks, can love make a broken person whole? Next one is another pre-order, Lone Women by Victor Laval. I've been super excited for this book for a while. It's set in the American West back in old-timey days, and it's listed as a horror, fantasy, historical fiction. I love horror that takes place in, like, the 1800s. I don't know why, it's just super creepy to me. Very much looking forward to this one. The next book is Chaos and Flame by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland. I believe I've read some of Tessa Grattan's stuff before, years ago. According to Goodreads, this is the first book in a ferocious fantasy duology featuring ancient magic, warring factions, and a romance between the two people in the world with the most cause to hate one another. We also have Those Empty Eyes by Charlie Donnelly. And according to Goodreads, this is a brilliantly twisting, skillfully plotted thriller. Next, we have Hang the Moon by Jeanette Walls. This is a historical fiction novel, and according to a blurb on Goodreads, the main character is a feisty and fearless, terrified and damaged young woman who refuses to be corralled. Next is The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise by Colleen Oakley. 
This is a work of contemporary fiction with some mystery elements, according to Goodreads. And according to a blurb, it's the story of a not-to-be-underestimated elderly woman and an aimless young woman who, if they can outrun the mistakes of their past, might just have the greatest adventure of their lives. Sounds very interesting to me. Definitely adding that to my TBR pile. I haven't pre-ordered it, but I am interested in seeing what other people think of it. Next is another pre-order. It is titled The Lonely Hearts Book Club by Lucy Gilmore. This one sounds really good, and according to Goodreads, it's about a lonely librarian who starts a book club with a lonely, grumpy old man. Really looking forward to that one. Next is Gigi Listening by Chantal Guertin. It's a contemporary chiclet novel, and according to Goodreads, it's a touching and witty novel about a woman who takes an impulsive trip to England to meet the man behind the audiobook narrator she's fallen for. And last on the list is What Lurks Between the Fates by Harper L. Woods and Adelaide Forrest. This is a paranormal fantasy romance, and it looks like it's book three in the Of Flesh and Bone series. So yeah, let me know if you have any of those pre-ordered, or maybe if you read an arc of any of them, and let me know what you thought of them. Now the books I added to my I Might Want to Read These Someday But I Haven't Bought Them Yet list this week are Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson, Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor, I Am Still Alive by Kate Alice Marshall, Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins-Reed, Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, and The Writing Retreat by Julie Bartz. I did mention a few books that I've already pre-ordered for this week, and then I bought a few others as well. Should not be a surprise to you. I bought The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna because I'm trying to read all of Reese's book club picks this year. We also have Georgia All Along by Kate Claiborne and Someday Maybe by Onyi Wabanelli. Hope I said that correctly. All sound very, very good. At the time of this recording, I just finished reading a gay thriller titled Bathhouse by PJ Vernon. It was really good, y'all. It was much better than I expected. I, I definitely recommend it. I will have a review on that coming up probably in like three or four weeks. I already got other books that I need to review first. And today I just started reading What Have We Done by Alex Finley. And by just started reading, I'm literally like, two chapters in. I had to put it down so I could record this, then I'll get back to it. If you would like to take a peek at what I'm reading right this very minute and have a look at my TBR, you can check out my Goodreads shelf by visiting justreaditalready.com and then go to the About page. And while you're visiting the website, stick around for a bit. This is also where I list the show notes that include links to all of the books that I review and typically the books that I mention for this week's releases. And then you can also listen to all of the past episodes on the website as well. Now, before I jump in, I'd also like to take a second to ask that you just take a minute to click the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on, and then set it to auto download so you don't miss an episode. A five-star rating and a review would also be lovely. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at Just Read It Already Podcast. All right, how about we jump into this week's reviews? I'm going to start off by reviewing Colleen Hoover's It Ends With Us. And as I mentioned last time, I don't give away any major spoilers in my reviews, but there are minor spoilers. So if you prefer to go in completely blind, just use the chapters in whatever app you're listening in to skip ahead. I put them in the episode description, so they're pretty easy to find. So just forward past the books that you don't want to hear about. It Ends With Us was first published in August of 2016 by Atria Books. It won a Goodreads Choice Award for Best Romance of 2016, 
and the synopsis reads, Sometimes it's the one who loves you who hurts you the most. Lily hasn't always had it easy, but that's never stopped her from working hard for the life she wants. She's come a long way from the small town in Maine where she grew up. She graduated from college, moved to Boston, and started her own business. So when she feels a spark with a gorgeous neurosurgeon named Ryle Kincaid, everything in Lily's life suddenly seems almost too good to be true. Ryle is assertive, stubborn, and maybe even a little arrogant. He's also sensitive, brilliant, and has a total soft spot for Lily. And the way he looks in scrubs certainly doesn't hurt. Lily can't get him out of her head, but Ryle's complete aversion to relationships is disturbing. Even as Lily finds herself becoming the exception to his no-dating rule, she can't help but wonder what made him that way in the first place. As questions about her new relationship overwhelm her, so do thoughts of Atlas Corrigan, her first love and a link to the past she left behind. He was her kindred spirit, her protector. When Atlas suddenly reappears, everything Lily has built with Ryle is threatened. Now, I mentioned last episode how much I love Colleen Hoover's books. This was actually the first book of hers that I had read since reading Slammed back in 2012. I had just bought myself a new iPad. I wanted something gritty, something easy and quick to read, something I could really sink into. This was one of the most read books on Goodreads. It had close to a four and a half star rating with over two million reviews. So I figured I probably would be in good hands. As I mentioned last week, I love a good contemporary fiction read, whether it's romance or not. I love when the characters aren't all sugary sweet, and I love when not everything goes perfectly for them. And I got exactly what I wanted with this one. I figured it would be good. I just didn't realize how much I would love it. Like, seriously, this book is so good. It's not an easy read. And trust me when I say you'll want to punch a certain character in the crotch more than once, but that's what I loved about the book. Every book of hers that I've read thus far, she makes you feel very strong feelings toward the characters, both good and bad. Now, this is the first in a two-part series, and if you've not read this book but plan to, I need to warn you that it deals with domestic abuse. It's not pretty, but as we all know, domestic abuse happens. It's an awful thing. We see just how awful it is. We also see how the abuser is able to so easily control those they abuse. When the book begins, we meet 23-year-old Lily Bloom. Lily just graduated from college and has returned to Boston after attending her father's funeral. Lily had a complicated relationship with her parents because her father was horribly abusive toward her mother, and Lily often witnessed the abuse. It's in the first chapter that Lily meets Ryle Kincaid on a rooftop of a building. Ryle is a charmer, but he's made it clear that serious relationships don't suit him, so Lily makes a mental note to not bother with him if she wants anything serious. Now, as you might have expected, Lily and Ryle can't stay away from one another and eventually begin to date. But things get complicated when Lily happens to run into Atlas Corrigan, her first love. Lily was just a teenager when she met Atlas. He was homeless, and he camped out in the old abandoned house behind hers. She would give him food and blankets, and she even gave him some of her dad's old clothes. The two of them developed a very sweet relationship. It lasted until her dad found out that he attacked Atlas, sent him away, and Lily had never seen him again. To say that the reemergence of Atlas causes issues between Lily and Ryle is an understatement. This is when Lily starts to experience the abuse of her own. And as all abusers do, Ryle makes excuses. He didn't mean to hit her. She caught him off guard. He didn't push her down the stairs. She tripped, and she must have hit her head and is now confused as to what really happened. 
When Lily finds herself pregnant with Ryle's child, it makes it even more clear that she has to protect both herself and the baby, lest she fall into the same cycle of abuse her mother endured for so many years. The book is told from Lily's point of view, and it flips between modern day and when she was a teenager and first meets Atlas. It's beautiful, it's raw, and it's heart-wrenching, but it's oh so good. I gave this one 5 out of 5 stars on Goodreads, and if you've not read this one but intend to, you might want to skip the next review since It Starts With Us picks up right where this book ends. It was recently announced that Blake Lively will be playing Lily in the movie version of the book, and Justin Baldoni will play Ryle. At the time of the recording, it's not yet been announced who will play Atlas. When I read the book, I pictured Emma Stone as Lily. Anytime the female is a redhead, I tend to picture either Emma Stone, Lily Collins, or Bryce Dallas Howard. I pictured Theo James as Ryle, and I think that's because when I was reading the book, I was also watching season two of The White Lotus, and Theo James played this really dickish character that just seemed to, he just fit Ryle for some reason. And then I pictured Oliver Jackson Cohen as Atlas. This guy was in The Haunting of Hill House. He played the brother with a drug addiction. And then he was in The Haunting of Bly Manor as well. And he plays the husband in the Apple TV Plus series Surface. He's really good at playing haunted and tortured. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the cast announcement. And I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the movie. All right. So we're going to do one more and then we'll take a break. So we'll chat about It Starts With Us. Again, this is a follow-up to It Ends With Us. It was first published on October 18th, 2022 by Atria Books and was a Goodreads Choice Award nominee that same year. Didn't win, though. The synopsis for this one reads, Lily and her ex-husband Ryle have just settled into a civil co-parenting rhythm when she suddenly bumps into her first love, Atlas, again. After nearly two years separated, she's elated that for once, time is on their side, and she immediately says yes when Atlas asks her on a date but her excitement is quickly hampered by the knowledge that, though they are no longer married, Ryle is still very much a part of her life, and Atlas Corrigan is the one man he will hate being in his ex-wife and daughter's lives. I liked this book, but I gotta admit, I liked It Ends With Us a lot more. Now, it was nice to see Lily's life after Ryle, even though she's still trying to navigate the co-parenting thing with him. He's still a massive dick, He's still controlling, and he still has this sense of hope that maybe he and Lily might be able to get back together again. And he does not like it one bit when he learns that she's dating Alice, as we would expect. Now, as one can imagine, when you're dealing with a narcissist, he doesn't make it easy for Alice and Lily. And there are times in the book when you wonder if Lily will ever get her happy ending with Alice. I gotta say, there were times when reading this that I wanted to yell at Lily to buck up and stick it to Ryle. I felt like she let him off way too easily, way too many times. Had I been her, I think that mofo would have been reported and he would have lost his job and so many other things. And I get that she wanted to keep the peace because he's the father of her daughter after all. In any real life situation, What Lily does is probably the most likely outcome for any woman trying to do what's right. She's trying to cause as little drama as possible. I don't know, maybe I'm just too vindictive. I wanted him to pay. Now, where the first book flipped between current time and Lily as a teenager, 
and her developing relationship with Atlas. This book alternates between Lily and Atlas's points of view. I really liked hearing Atlas's side of things. I loved getting a look at his thought processes. We also get a look at his relationship with his estranged mother when she comes back into his life in this book, and it really helped flesh out his character even more. Overall, I really enjoyed the book. It was good to see where these character stories led. In the end, it didn't quite give me the emotional punch that It Ends With Us did, but I still enjoyed it. I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads. All right, let's take a break right now, and then I'll share my thoughts on our final two books. Alrighty, we'll switch gears away from Colleen Hoover now and take a look at another series that I recently read. The first is titled They Both Die at the End. It's the first book in the Deathcast series by Adam Silvera. This book was first published by Quill Tree Books in September of 2017. It was a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Best Young Adult Fiction in 2017. The synopsis reads, Adam Silvera reminds us that there's no life without death, and no love without loss in this devastating yet uplifting story about two people whose lives change over the course of one unforgettable day. On September 5th, a little after midnight, Deathcast calls Mateo Torres and Rufus Emetrio to give them some bad news. They're going to die today. Mateo and Rufus are total strangers, but for different reasons, they're both looking to make a new friend on their end day. The good news? There's an app for that. It's called The Last Friend, and through it, Rufus and Mateo are about to meet up for one last great adventure, to live a lifetime in a single day. Y'all, this book wrecked me. And I'm sure that's a surprise after you've heard the title. But even though it was sad, it was really uplifting. So it was like uplifting and heartbreaking at the same time, which sounds like a really weird combination, but it really, really worked. The basic concept is it's present day, but people have the ability to sign up for Deathcast, which is a company that has developed a way to determine when you will die. And if you're a subscriber to their service, and it's your time to go, they will call you just after midnight on the day of your demise to let you know that sadly today is your last day to live. They don't know how you'll die. They don't know when you'll die. Just that today is your end day, as it's called in the book, and sometime before 11.59 p.m., you will die. As the synopsis mentioned, the book focuses on Mateo and Rufus, our two main characters. Mateo is sweet and kind and shy and almost a recluse. His mother died when he was born, and his dad had a stroke and is unconscious in the hospital. So he's currently living by himself while he waits and hopes that his dad will wake up. Mateo is also a member of several online forums where people post about their death cast call and what they did on their last day. He also knows all about the apps that are available and the perks some businesses have available to deckers on their last day, and deckers is what they call those who are on deck to die that day. Mateo knows that he needs to get out of the house. He's played it safe his entire life, and he knows that this is his last chance to get out and live. He wants to go see his dad in the hospital, he wants to visit his mom's grave, and he wants to see his best friend one last time. Rufus is a foster kid whose entire family died in a car crash, and he was the only one who escaped with his life. He harbors some resentment over this. Rufus receives his call from Deathcast right as he's beating the crap out of this guy, 
And because of the assault, the police are now on his tail, but Rufus is not about to spend his last day on Earth in jail. Mateo and Rufus end up meeting one another on the Last Friend app, and they are exactly what the other needs on their final day. Over the course of the book, we learn that Mateo is gay and Rufus is bisexual, and the two experience a lot of firsts. They find the love and the comfort they've so desperately needed in each other. The entire time that I read this book, I kept wondering if I would want to know if this was my last day alive. And the more I thought about it, I don't think I would. I mean, they made some good points in the book about, you know, if you know this is your last day, you're going to go out and make the most of it. Which, yeah, that's true. But I feel like I would spend the entire day thinking about all of the friends and family who live in other states that I won't be able to see. All of the traveling that I never did. I just, I think I would rather just kick it without knowing it was coming. Otherwise, I feel like I'd die with all these regrets and coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Now, as the title implies, they both die at the end, and peppered throughout the book, we get glimpses at other people's lives that they interact with throughout their final day. It's a sweet read. You'll definitely need to keep the tissues handy. I gave this one four out of five stars on Goodreads. All right, now lastly, I'm going to yap about book two in Adam Silvera's Deathcast series, and this one was titled The First to Die at the End. It was first published by HarperCollins in October of 2022, and it was also a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Best Young Adult Fiction that same year. The synopsis reads, In this prequel to the number one New York Times bestselling phenomenon, They Both Die at the End, two new strangers spend a life-changing day together after Deathcast first makes their fateful calls. It's the night before Deathcast goes live, And there's one question on everyone's mind. Can Deathcast actually predict when someone will die? Or is it just an elaborate hoax? Orion Pagan has waited years for someone to tell him that he's going to die. He has a serious heart condition, and he signed up for Deathcast so he could know what's coming. Valentino Prince is restarting his life in New York. He has a long and promising future ahead, and he only registered for Deathcast after his twin sister nearly died in a car accident. Orion and Valentino cross paths in Times Square and immediately feel a deep connection. But when the first round of end-day calls go out, their lives are changed forever. One of them receives a call, and the other doesn't. Though neither boy is certain how the day will end, they know they want to spend it together, even if that means their goodbye will be heartbreaking. Told with acclaimed author Adam Silvera's signature bittersweet touch, this story celebrates the lasting impact that people have on each other and proves that life is always worth living to the fullest. Now, there will be a few minor spoilers in this review, just so that I can help kind of progress the story a little bit. So if you've not read this book and you want to go in blind, turn it off now, and hopefully I'll see you next week. Otherwise, going to press on. As was mentioned in the synopsis, this book is a prequel. So we get to travel back to the first day the Deathcast launched, and we meet two new characters. So Orion Pagan's parents are both dead, He lives with his mother's best friend and her family. Orion is gay. He's lived most of his life wondering if today will be his last, because as the synopsis said, he suffers from a severe heart condition, and this prevents him from pushing himself too hard, because at any moment, he could have a heart attack and his heart could fail. He signs up for Deathcast because he feels like this will let him know if today is going to be the day or not. He and his best friend and somewhat surrogate sister, Dalma, Head for Times Square for the official launch of Deathcast. Orion signs up for service and they both hang out in Times Square until midnight to see if he'll get the call. 
While they're there, Orion catches a glimpse of a tall, smoking hot guy sitting by himself. He can't help but stare at this dude. At Dalma's encouragement, the two end up chatting, and they learn that this guy's name is Valentino. He recently moved to New York, just that day, actually, and he's going. he moved there to pursue a modeling career. His parents basically disowned him when they found out he was gay, so he and his twin sister Scarlett decided to move to New York to pursue careers. And while Valentino is pursuing a modeling career, Scarlett is a photographer, and she's not yet in New York. She had stayed behind in Arizona to actually cover the Deathcast launch in Arizona for a magazine, and then she's planning to fly to New York the next day. Now, at first, Valentino didn't sign up for Deathcast. But after speaking with Dalma and Orion, and Orion gave him the reasons why he signed up, he's reminded how close he came to losing his sister in a car accident. And if he had known, he would have spent the day differently. So he decides, what the hell? I'll go ahead and sign up for it as well. Can't hurt anything. Besides, I'm a strapping young man. I have my whole life ahead of me. There's no way they're going to call me. So they sign up. The clock strikes midnight. The owner of Deathcast makes the very first call on national television, and one of the boys' phones ring. They all feel pretty confident that it's probably Orion's phone that's ringing, but it's not. It's Valentino's, which is strange because Orion seemed the likely candidate. Valentino seemed to have his whole life ahead of him. So now Valentino is alone in this brand new city that just hours ago seemed to hold a world of promise but now it's where he's going to die. His twin sister's still in Arizona. He doesn't know anyone here, so naturally Orion decides that if he's lucky enough to get to live another day, and he didn't receive a death call, he knows he's not going to die today, provided the system, which is brand new by the way, isn't glitchy, then he will help give Valentino the best last day of his life that he possibly could. It's then that Valentino realizes that maybe with his death, he may be able to give Orion a shot at a normal life. Over the course of the book, a beautiful friendship is born. Sparks fly, fun is had, tears are shed, and by the end of the book, one of our beloved gay boys is dead. There are twists, there are surprises, and like the first book, we get glimpses at a few other characters and how the launch of Deathcast affects their lives. I especially like seeing the creator of Deathcast's point of view as he realizes that his algorithm may not be 100% foolproof. In the first book, Deathcast has been around for a while, so they've had time to work out the glitches. But it was interesting in this book to see how it was when it first started out and some of the glitches that they experienced. The story is very bittersweet. There were a few plot points that seemed a little far-fetched to me in both of these books, but when you're dealing with the idea that a tech company can accurately predict your death date, I figured I could let these things go. The issues that I had were small, they're not worth calling out individually. Overall, I really, really enjoyed the book. I think I might have liked this one a little more. Since we can't give half stars on Goodreads, I gave it another solid four stars, but this one would definitely be four and a half. All right, that's all I have for you today. Now, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And if you want to check out any of the books that I mentioned today, I have links to them all on this episode's page on the website at justreaditalready.com. I also want to remind you that my other podcast, Back Where We Belong, launches Wednesday, May 3rd. The trailer is available now, and we are dropping a few pre-launch episodes from one of our old podcasts. So go check those out, especially if you like 80s movies. 
Please join me next Monday when I discuss the comedy Big Swiss, Colleen Hoover's All Your Perfects, and the mystery thriller What Lies in the Woods. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.